It is a phrase that every parent dreads. Like nails on a chalkboard or a cat whining all through the night. The painful words of a car ride. Are we there yet? These words are spoken on long trips and short trips, on familiar journeys and on trips to new places. Are we there yet? How much longer? The impatience of children. It's rarely asked just one time either. It's asked over and over and over again. Are we there yet? No, but we're two minutes closer than the last time you asked. Please sit and be quiet. Children have trouble with patience. Not when life is fun. When, when life is fun, five more minutes at a playground uh, can feel like a long time or no time at all. Five minutes in timeout is an eternity. Sometimes a boring trip in the car can bring out the worst in our children. Children can be so impatient, and yet, so can adults, right? We get that way. Especially when we're uncomfortable, insecure, or in pain. Today we're in the book of Habakkuk. We're in the, uh, the book of the Twelve. Uh, the minor prophets, we've been going one prophet a Sunday through the summer through these minor prophets. And we're in the book of Habakkuk. Most people can't even say Habakkuk, let alone uh, know much about it. Habakkuk, we're not totally sure what his name means. It, it can mean kind of embracing. It can also refer to an herb. We're, we're not quite sure even what his name means. We know basically nothing about him. He is a prophesying at a time where Israel is divided into two. There's the northern part of Israel that we typically call Israel. And then there's the southern part typically called Judah. So it gets a little confusing when they talk about Israel and they talk about Judah. But then they both sometimes talk about them as Israel. The Assyrians take over and, dep and deport most of Israel, most of the people in the north in 722. Babylon is the nation that sort of comes up against them then and takes over the Assyrians in 612. And the Babylonians then are the people that take over Judah, the southern part, um, over some time, normally between 597 and 581. There's about 16 years in there where there's a couple different sieges on Judah. Now both those nations, the Assyrians... And the Babylonians are pretty cruel, pretty rough, pretty powerful bullies in the area. But this is also a time in which Israel is not kind also. I mean, Israel is abusing the poor. There are really rough court systems. There's a lot of internal stuff not going on for Israel as well. A lot of worship of other gods are happening. There's a king that comes to power named Josiah who starts to bring reform. But Josiah is killed... Um, in a, in a battle trying to fight the Egyptians who are coming that way. And uh, in the end, his reforms don't stick around in Israel in, his bad, in a bad way. Habakkuk is writing sometimes bef sometime before the Babylonians take over Assyria, probably after Assyria has already beat up on the northern nation of Israel. But somewhere where Babylon is starting to be on the rise because because uh, uh, Habakkuk is seeing forward and saying, you know what, the, 
these Babylonians, they're going to be trouble. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phones, turn to the book of Habakkuk. And we're going to read through a number of sections of Habakkuk, particularly in the first couple chapters. So Habakkuk 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That's it. That's the intro. We don't know much about him, much about the kings of his time. Just that. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk's complaint is the complaint of that child in the backseat of a car. How long? Are we there yet? How long, Lord, are you going to wait by, stand by while pain and cruelty are happening? How long will the enemies of my people get stronger and stronger? Why aren't you doing something about injustice, about cruelty, about pain in the world around me? Are we there yet? Are we finally at that place where you will step in and show your power? We have trouble with this kind of prayer, don't we? We've kind of been taught you're not supposed to question God. You're just supposed to trust. You're not supposed to question God and voice those opinions about God. But the testimony of Scripture is that you question God. That these kind of prayers happen. David has these kind of prayers. Jeremiah has these kind of prayers. Where are you, Lord? Where are you? How long? That these prayers are not actually prayers of a lack of faith. Habakkuk is saying to God, God, I know you see this. I know you're powerful enough to do something about this. And yet, where are you? That's not a question of somebody who has no faith. That's a question of somebody who has faith in a very large God, but that can't understand why God is doing things the way God is doing them. And sometimes you read these prayers in the Old Testament, particularly Psalms of David, particularly go to the book of Jeremiah. They sound almost blasphemous to us. How can you pray those kind of prayers? But, but the Bible seems to give an example of giving voice to those thoughts. That it's okay to question God. Everybody listen. God is big enough to handle your questions. God is never ever going to be like, oh, he asked that one. That was the one I couldn't answer. That's the one he got me. God is big enough to handle your questions and your complaints. And in fact... I think it's very good for us to get those complaints off our chest. Shows more faith in God to question God than to just pretend. Well, Because what's the other alternative thought? Well, maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God isn't powerful. Maybe He doesn't see. Maybe I am on my own. When I voice my complaints, I bring God into the problem. But when I leave my complaints aside, then I, I just... And I'm telling you, the, the complaints of the Bible are nearly blasphemous. The examples we have are, are questioning God to a point that is beyond. But, but as you're going to see, they don't ever end there in the Bible. It's all right. And I think it's healthy to question and to pose your questions, to vocalize your questions to God. I think God is big enough to handle them. Now, so, so Habakkuk is asking this question, how long? 
Are we there yet? Is it coming yet, God? But unlike other prophetic books, the book of Habakkuk is set up as a conversation between God and Habakkuk. So you get questions from Habakkuk, and then you get answers from God. So in verse 5, God answers. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's another name for the Babylonians. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the, e- the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly. Their horsemen come from afar. They, they fly like the eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like the sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. God answers Habakkuk and says, no, 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 no. This isn't going to continue. Because I'm raising up the Babylonians and they're going to come in and they're going to destroy and they're going to fix this. Everybody listen. That is not good news to Habakkuk. Right? Imagine that news. Hey, hey, you know that bully really messing with you? I got good news for you. I've got an even bigger bully that I'm going to send in. He's going to take care of the little bully and then everything's going to be okay, right? (laughs) Really, God? I'm not sure you quite heard the message here, you know? Um, But God has this plan. He's going to bring the Babylonians who are going to beat the Assyrians and eventually they're going to be really rough on Judah as well. Is that good news? I don't know. Not going to be good news in the moment. And what does it mean that God can use cruel nations and pagan kings to do his work? Sidebar, a little bonus content for you here. What does it mean that God can use pagan people and and foreign nations to do his will and his purpose? We're, We're in this election season right now. I go on Facebook and I turn on the news and depending on who's posting or what station you're on, there's a candidate that's the devil, right? That's evil. And, and it's, it's amazing because both candidates are called by different people evil. And, and people are in like a panic about this. But I, I think you've got to look at this and say, well, whatever, whoever is in there, God has the ability to work his purposes out through whoever is in there, right? God can use pagan evil people to do what he wants done in this world. Maybe we should take a deep breath and instead of trusting who we vote on, put our hope in something that's built a little stronger than that. Sidebar over. But Habakkuk, though, still questioning God, still wondering how that is good news, continues his complaint. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. For you, are, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wickedness swallows up the man more righteous than he? 
And, and you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. <clears throat> he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices in his glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on empty his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Lord, are you really going to let us die by their hands? You're going to let another bully come in and keep picking on us and keep catching these nations like fish and, and destroying them. You're going to let that nation just go by? So Habakkuk, in the beginning of chapter 2, has a plan. It says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will, he, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In cities in those days, you typically would build your cities up on hills because they're easily defensible and you can see where enemies are coming. Okay? And then typically at the top of the hill, you might put your palace or you might put your place of worship. But on there, you would build a tall tower so that you could see far out. Right? It's often called a watchtower. So you could be able to see where the enemy was. There, there's also reference to watchtowers that were built into the walls. Or either on the corner of, a, of a, the walled city or jutting sort of out into the city, into the wall, would be a place where you could go and you could kind of lean out and see the enemy at your wall. And be able to shoot arrows, throw spears, whatever you need to defend your walls. So we're not sure exactly which kind of watchtower Habakkuk is referencing here. But he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to one of those places on the city where you look out and where you watch, and where you can see what's coming. And I'm going to see what God will do. And I'm going to see what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he takes this position of watching, of waiting, of anticipating. See, Habakkuk is actually a really faithful person. He is really trusting God. He thinks God can do something. But do you know what you know what Habakkuk's having trouble with? Habakkuk has trouble with God's timing. Habakkuk has trouble with God's timing. I trust that God can do it. But I wonder how long. How long? I've been hurting. I'm in pain. I see the pain of others. How long will I have to wait? How long will I have to look out for an answer? And the Lord answers. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. And greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. He says, he says let me give you a vision. Write it down. Write this down. Don't miss it. It's waiting at its appointed time. 
It will happen. It is not a lie. It may seem slow, but wait for it. It's coming. In those days when you had messages and you had to get them to the next town, you have to send a runner, a runner who would carry the document or would have to read it and memorize it and then run. This is where we get marathons from, by the way. Because after the Battle of Marathon, uh, a person had to run supposedly about 26.2 miles back to tell of the victory. And supposedly he pronounced the victory and then fell exhausted and died after announcing that victory. That's where we get the term marathon and the idea of running that distance from. The news is that the puffed up will not stay upright forever. The vision awaits, but it is coming to an end. God has a sense of timing that is not our own. Time does not go in a circle. You are not stuck You are not doomed to endlessly be wherever you are right now. God has a sense of timing that's different than yours, but he has plans and he has purposes that he is working out. Remember the center of our faith, that in the fullness of time, Jesus entered history, died on that cross, rose again, and someday he will return. We trust and we hope That God has a timing and a purpose and a plan that's bigger than our understanding. And it gives us the patience to wait in the moment. If you go on and read the rest of Habakkuk, you get woes to those who would oppress God or, or oppress the ways of God. And then at the end of Habakkuk, you get a beautiful prayer of Habakkuk. Um confessing his faith that he will trust in God. Let me read for you chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. This is how the book ends. Though the fig tree should blossom, should not blossom, nor fruit, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the ava fail, and the field yields no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God, my, in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk's question of how long is not answered. He doesn't know how long. He doesn't see the end. But he chooses to trust God in the meantime. Everybody listen. This is a really important thing. You're not really trusting God if you don't trust God with the timing. You're not really trusting God if you don't trust God with the timing. If you say, yeah, I believe God can do it, but I want Him to do it now. Then you're not fully trusting God with the timing. And you're only partially trusting God. I look around here and I see a lot of people that are pacing the watchtowers. Wondering when God's going to come. Wondering when God's going to do something. When my pain's going to be over. People dealing with loss and grief. People wondering about jobs in the future. People wondering about their finances and where money is going to come from next month. Wondering if a daughter will be okay or if a son will come home. If a parent would see another birthday or if a grandparent's going to be okay. If a marriage will survive another fall. If a test result will bring joy or pain if a treatment will finally end the waiting and the questions. And so we pace the watchtower, wondering, God, where are you? How long? 
But this is the message of Habakkuk. You can trust Him. You can trust God. You can even trust God with the timing. I know it's hard, but you can choose to trust Him. And in fact, I think we are supposed to be like those runners. We're supposed to be the people in this world that run out and say, you know what? You all are panicking out here. You're panicking about all kinds of stuff in your life. You're panicking about all kinds of stuff in our world. You're panicking about all kinds of stuff in our nations. But, but in the nations, but I have a message for you. And my message is, you can trust Him. I know what Jesus did, and I know that you can trust what this book says. And I know that you can trust the ongoing plan of God in this world. And I'm pacing the watchtower with you, but I'm telling you, we can trust God. We can even trust God with the timing. And it may not make sense to us how God answers or when God answers. But we can stand on that watchtower and we can in faith watch to see when He will answer. You can trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the message of Habakkuk. Lord, I, I just am keenly aware that there are a number of people on the watchtower looking out to see where God is and see where you are, see what you're doing, see when you're going to answer. Help us to trust with the timing and help us, O oh Lord, to wait patiently that we may in our attitude proclaim of your faith to those in our world that really need to trust you right now. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.